Welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio, a show by working people for working people in New York City. My name is Lupita Romero, and I'm one of your hosts for tonight. And I'm Mel Gonzalez, your other host. This week, we're focusing on the ongoing housing crisis during the pandemic, and we'll speak to Ginger, an activist tenant, about their fight against a slumlord engaging in illegal lockouts. But first, here's Lupita and Khadija with some headlines. Thanks, Mel. In immigration news, the fight for financial relief for immigrants continues. This past week, activists in New Jersey held a rally to demand that Governor Murphy provide stimulus payments to undocumented and eligible taxpayers left behind from the COVID-19 federal aid. They are demanding that this aid include $600 weekly payments for excluded workers who are jobless and families who are excluded from federal aid. This protest was in response to the unveiling of the state budget that many critiqued for not including relief for immigrants. A sixth person, detained by ICE, has died from COVID-19 complications as activists continue to protest for release of immigrants. Fernando Sabanjer Garcia, a 50-year-old Honduran immigrant who was detained at the Joe Corley Processing Center in Conroe, Texas, passed away on August 28th from COVID-19-related respiratory complications. There have been a total of 50 cases of coronavirus reported at the Conroe facility alone. COVID-related deaths in detention centers have gone overlooked and underreported. According to ICE, there have been over 4,500 cases of COVID in detention centers, although advocates claim that ICE has undercounted the number of COVID cases and deaths. In local news, New York City has delayed in-person learning as teachers threaten to strike over school reopenings. Bill de Blasio announced that in-person learning would be pushed to September 21st to quote-unquote give teachers more time to transition. His announcement happened just a day after a seven-hour city council hearing on the same topic, where parents and teachers spoke overwhelmingly against the city's hybrid approach that includes both virtual and in-person learning. In days preceding the announced delay, over 1,000 teachers participated in a strike-ready virtual meeting to solidify strike plans should schools reopen. And just yesterday, hundreds of teachers rallied outside of de Blasio's Prospect Park apartment and later in the day at Times Square, vowing to continue organizing to keep schools closed. New York City is one of only a handful of districts across the country planning in-person learning as most states have decided to start the school year completely remotely. Let's take a look at the ongoing presidential elections. This past week, polls show presidential candidate Joe Biden holds only a narrow lead over Trump as they tackle ongoing concerns over the COVID pandemic and ongoing protests that have resulted in police and right-wing violence across the nation. On Tuesday this past week, President Donald Trump visited Kenosha, Wisconsin in a move many criticized as political opportunism. He barely mentioned Jacob Blake's in his remarks while in Kenosha and instead focused on condemning protests and commending police officers. Biden, one of the writers of the 1994 Violent Crime Control and Enforcement Act, 
which is widely seen to have exacerbated the issue of mass incarceration, visited Kenosha on Thursday as well. Critics of both are disappointed in the presidential candidate's use of the unrest in Kenosha as a way to score political points for the upcoming election, instead of responding to the demands of the Black Lives Matter movement to defund and abolish the police. Kenosha Mayor John Antaramian spoke out against the candidates visiting as well, saying it was too soon for them to visit. Lastly, for an update on the Black Lives Matter movement. Stories of recent police killings in Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Rochester, New York, as well as increased right-wing violence against activists, have reignited protests in major cities. The following are descriptions of some of these police killings and may include sensitive information. In Rochester, New York, 41-year-old Daniel Prude was experiencing a mental health crisis. Police officers called to assist Proof, handcuffed him face down on the wet pavement, although he was undressed, and placed a bag over his head. Prude was declared brain dead in the hospital and died a week later. Although this incident happened in March, recently published video of the murder has sparked renewed outreach. This past week in Chicago, police killed 26-year-old Miguel Vega. Officers claimed that Vega was armed at the time, even though no gun was found near him and the gunshot wound he suffered was in the back of his head, raising questions over police accounts of the incident. This Wednesday in Washington, D.C., police officers killed 18-year-old Dion Kay in a harrowing scene that was captured on a police body camera and released to the public. Local vigils and protests have erupted in response and are continuing. Alexander Alvarez, the officer who fired the shot to Kay's chest, has since been placed on administrative leave. On Thursday night in Portland, Oregon, U.S. Marshals fatally shot Michael Rhino, a 48-year-old, just hours after they issued a warrant for his arrest. Rhinel was suspected of shooting a member of Patriot Prayers, a right-wing fascist group that operates in the area. In a recent interview, Rhinel admitted to the shooting of Aaron Danielson, but claimed that he did so in self-defense. Finally, on Friday in New York City, an unidentified car believed to be a police vehicle drove through a protest that was organized in honor of Daniel Prude, a victim of police murder. The car sped away, injuring several bystanders, and people on the scene also claimed that the vehicle belonged to police escorts that were shielding and protecting right-wing counter-protesters. Neither Mayor de Blasio nor the NYPD has made any comments on the incident. That's it for headlines. Back to Lupita and Mel. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. We'll be right back. We go in, we go in. My pants poster said, we go in ultra. Going ultra black, I got a toast to that. We don't fold the crack. We going occasion we rose to that. Going postal, we going ultra black. Watching the global change, hopping the coldest range. Hip boy on the beat, 
it, poster slap. We going ultra black. We going, we going. Rhythm and blues, pop rock, soul to jazz, till my toes attack. How I look being told, I'm not supposed to brag. Nobody fault, I tell the truth, I know what's facts. We ultra black, grace stone, skin tone, but multi that. Multiple colors, we come in all shades, mocha black. Except where I'm at and I fight me on it. Emotional stares like I might be wanted. Pitch black like the night, I'm ultra black. Said for the sun, reruns, jokes are black. Oh yes, oh yes, God bless success. We going ultra black like the S is fast. Talk with a mask on, the freshest breath. African black soap, caress the flesh. That was Ultra Black by Nas off his new album, Kings of Disease. The alarms continue to sound about the oncoming catastrophic rise in evictions across the country due to mass unemployment caused by the pandemic. With over 16 million people out of work, researchers have estimated that up to 40 million people are now at risk of evictions in the upcoming months without intervention, including 14,500 tenants with pending eviction warrants already and 50,000 evictions overall expected in New York City alone. While movements across the country have pushed for the cancellation of rent, in large part funded by proposed increases in taxes for the rich, tenants have mainly gotten a hodgepodge of rolling eviction moratoriums issued by federal and local governments, and even by individual court systems that refuse to hear new eviction cases. In New York City, the current moratorium was recently extended until October, but with more limited eligibility requirements. And as you heard in our headlines, this week, the CDC issued an eviction moratorium extension until the end of the year. The threat of eventual eviction looms large over millions of people. But what has not been talked about as much are the current experiences of tenants across the country who have already been dealing with harassment, lockouts, and other illegal actions from their landlords. Even with clear moratoriums prohibiting landlords from evicting tenants on the basis of non-payment, many landlords have attempted to push out their tenants by other means. Landlords have hired people to harass tenants or have themselves harassed tenants and even physically locked tenants out of their apartment in order to get them to leave on their own. But tenants have been pushing back, organizing massive rallies demanding the cancellation of rent and organizing through tenants' unions in specific buildings to support tenants facing landlord harassment or lockouts when legal services organizations and the police provide little to no help. Working Class Heroes was at a rally against millionaire landlords on August 20th. Summarizing the current housing crisis, here is what Marisol Morales from Community Action for Safe Apartments in the Bronx had to say. We're asking for those in power to help us to cancel the rent. They have the power. They need to use the system to help us. This is this pandemic is only helping the rich to amass more and more power and to sink the poor. Yeah. 
At that rally, WCH also spoke to Marni Halasa, who was there in support of small business owners who are also facing widespread fear of evictions and closures of their commercial spaces and who are seeking relief. Here's how she explained their concerns. And my understanding is that small business owners have less rights than most tenants. Correct. They have, I mean, the business owners, the rent-stabilized tenants at least have the right to renew. Small businesses want really one thing, the right to renew. And if you get the right to renew, then you'll never get kicked out of your space. So that's really the, the solution for all the businesses closing. Also, with the Small Business Job Survival Act legislation that has a majority in supporting council, that you can actually, with your landlord, negotiate fair terms for a longer lease, like, the you know, for a 10-year lease. So we would rather have that than this other inferior stuff that the council is pushing, uh, which is the rent stabilization bill. And the rent stabilization bill will have a board uh, with real estate development and uh, economic development corporation people that really are in bed with the city and don't have the best interests of the small business owner. So that's what I have to say. I hope it's not too complicated, but you know, really like small businesses were really dying and there's nobody's really coming to our aid and it's just atrocious. We also spoke to South Brown's tenant movement leaders who are fighting against a rent hike that doubles their rent and also the illegal lockout of one of their neighbors and fellow tenant union members, Maricela. He never introduced himself or came here. He only sent a couple of us a paper giving us 90 days notice to start paying double the rent. $2,500 overnight or be evicted. The last owner never gave us a lease renewal, and so the new landlord claims that we are now illegally living here and they could throw us out. Our 90 days are up at the end of September, and that's what we are fighting, that they give us a lease, a reasonable rent amount, and for Mrs. Maricela to be able to come back because he evicted her with harassment and almost by physical force. He knows that she doesn't speak Spanish. She's indigenous. We think it's unfair. He evicted her in May in the midst of the pandemic, even though there was a moratorium. He didn't care what the law said. It's what he wanted. And that's what we are asking for, a lease, a fair rent, apartment repairs, and for Maricela to come back to her home. I think what really got me about Maricela's story is the part about her being a non-Spanish speaker. Because when we think about immigrants, we usually think about them having one home country language. And for Latinx immigrants, you know, that's Spanish because it is the most widespread language. But indigenous people very much are migrating to the U.S. as well. And a lot of the times people who come from very rural areas will not have learned the quote unquote legitimate language of their country and actually speak their mother language. Um, and so I think that you know, the fact that a lot of those people tend to be double, like tend to be in like a double jeopardy because of that, uh, like a double vulnerability because 
they may not have a legal status in the apartment in terms of a lease, but then also are not Spanish speakers. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, that part really hit home how enraging it is that a landlord who knows that and who knows that we're in the middle of a pandemic could go on with a sort of eviction the way that he did. Yeah. I've come to realize that a lot of people have are living in places without a formal lease. And to me personally, you know, I'd never really um, seen that before. Every, every place I've lived in, um, I've had a lease. But landlords take advantage of, of informal arrangements with their tenants all the time, which, you know, may, might be beneficial to tenants at some point. But in the end, it means, especially now, that landlords can, can kind of do whatever they want and especially tenants that are vulnerable um, who might not speak Spanish or might not speak English, um, they struggle so much to get legal services or to defend themselves in court um, or to even prove that what they thought was the lease, what they thought were the terms of their lease are the actual terms. And so landlords just have so much so much power. No, totally. And I think it reinforces sort of what what has been said before in terms of the police and the way that they sort of on paper are supposed to help people enforce the law. And yet in situations like these on the ground, individual officers and most officers will actually side with the rights of private property owners, even if they themselves are not well versed in it. And so they're just sort of making these judgment calls based on the idea that they're supposed to protect the property owners and not people you know, who, who property owners have claims against. Um, And that also, you know, working people just don't have access to tenant rights information, um, especially if they're not English speakers. Um, And that most people don't know about the court process for eviction until they're going through an eviction. Um, And most of the time when they're dealing with harassment or an eviction, court, court houses and civil rights organizations are open and working and maybe available for them to call. But during a pandemic, information for who to call or even how the court is handling all of this has just been so hard than to expect someone who is not a Spanish speaker and not an English speaker to be able to navigate that. And it just seems very malicious and um, spiteful to take advantage of all of those situations to to essentially yeah. just kick someone out. know yeah and even you know even some of the programs that the city has set up are also have this the same failing where folks just don't even know how to access any any services i'm thinking of recently there was a a a covid relief program for for people and you know a lot of legal services or organizations found out about it a week before the deadline was due and then they had to scramble to figure out, okay, we got to get everyone we know to apply for this thing. Um, there's tons of little eligibility requirements. Some of the forms online were only in English. Um, and then, of course, they made they realized, okay, no, we need to give people some more time. So it was two weeks. But you know, none of my friends knew about it, um, and and certainly none of the the folks who are you know the most vulnerable probably knew about it. So it just. It's so difficult both ways. And computer literacy is definitely a, an issue of accessibility as well. You know, we've, we've definitely seen yeah. that across the country in general. And so to expect people to just all of a sudden be able to adapt and use these new channels is, is unfeasible. And I think mm. that that's why people think yeah. it's so unreasonable that 
in the midst of all of that, Governor Cuomo will not consider a cancellation of rent or, you know, a complete full stop to courts. Well, to dive deeper into these issues, our correspondent Julian will be interviewing Ginger Jindon Boyd, a tenant organizing in Brooklyn after facing severe harassment and a lockout by her landlord. So stay tuned after the music break for that. And after that, we'll be taking some calls with Julian and Ginger on the line so they can answer your questions. Stick around. was Vamanos Palmonte by Eddie Palmieri. You're listening to Working Class Heroes on WBAI 99.5 FM. My name is Julian Guerrero, and I want to thank Mel and Lupita for bringing us up to this point now on the radio show. I want to transition now to our interview with Ginger. Um, I want to thank you for being here with us, Ginger. Are you on? I am. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for letting me be here. My name is Ginger Jingduan Boyd. Thanks, Ginger. Thanks for correcting us as well uh, for mispronouncing your name before. So we wanted to have you on because of an experience you had with an abusive landlord, right? And normally, uh, New Yorkers who are usually confronted with an abusive landlord, most oftentimes tenants uh, can sometimes just self-evict, right? But you fought back. And I think in these times we're living, in, it's important that people hear what you did to deal with your landlord while staying in your apartment. So I want to ask, um, just so that folks can get to know you a little bit, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you ended up in this Brooklyn apartment? Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I want to preface uh, my experience by saying that although uh, this has been a horrific experience, um, I stand in solidarity with my two ex-roommates who were successfully harassed out of my apartment and um I think everybody's doing the best they can with what they can. And so although I am here fighting, it's a very complex um, set of reasons why. And there's no judgment whether people stay or go. Um, And also to preface this interview, I want to make sure people know that while this is no um, comment on other people and other tenants in crisis around the world, but I know specifically for me and the privileges that I embody, that as bad as this is, this is for me is still a first world problem. And I know that so many people that have come before me have overcome something like this, a housing crisis, particularly indigenous peoples. And um, we have a duty to, to keep on fighting, but uh, I, I know that of all the worst case scenarios right now, I consider myself one of on the better end of that spectrum. 
Um, and now to address your question, um, I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. Shout out to the hyphy movement. Um, I was born in Hayward, spent two years in Oakland, and lived in Pleasant Hill for 15 years. And then I lived in San Francisco for three years. Um, after that, I went around the world for two years. And then I earned my master's from the new school in 2015. Dope. That's awesome. Um, so let's get into what happened uh, the day your landlord tried to illegally lock you out of your apartment. Can you share that with us? Sure thing. Um, so my landlord, Eric Miller, hired, um, well, commissioned Michael Weiss, my property manager, to burglarize my apartment with a power drill on June 5th. My neighbor saw it. And he let me know, and we don't know why they didn't go through with it, but it put me on edge and simultaneously put me in a state of relief. I thought to myself, well, it's been two months of severe harassment after six months of manipulation and harassment. Maybe they're not going to go through with it. But on June 12th, around 1.11 p.m., um, I was sleeping because I was trying to recover from a migraine. And that's when I heard the power drill. <sighs> that's crazy. Yeah. And what did you do about this? Well, I, I've been trying to manage and recover from my post-traumatic stress disorder since 2011. So I, I was immediately sent into a panic attack and I was shaking so much. I didn't know what to do first, but somehow I was able to text my neighbor Drills now. That's all I said. And I called the police from the 7 precinct. And then I turned on my camera and started recording the break-in. Um, anybody can see the video on my Instagram. It's Jing Duan, spelled G-I-N-G-D-W-A-N. Um, and everybody will be able to see how I wasn't able to file a police report with the 70 precinct the next day. Um, so that's what I did immediately. But for the next, I'd say like two weeks, I spent every waking moment sending as many messages in a bottle as far and wide across New York city as I can. And I created a whole um, list of resources that other people can reach out to as well. The link to those resources can be found, again, on my Instagram, G-I-N-G-D-W-A-N. Um, and I simultaneously uh, started organizing a tenants association within my building and then partnered with my tenant coalition. Um, we're called Parkway Tenants Association. And how long did it take you to get that, like, off the ground or to connect with the other tenants in your building? Mm. Well, um, forming a tenants association takes a lot of patient work over the course of a long period of time. So thankfully um, my neighboring building had already been organizing for about a couple of years actually. And it wasn't until June of this year that they decided to um, reach out to the other neighboring buildings. It, within Flatbush and Prospect Lefferts Gardens, there's about 33 buildings owned by Parkway Realty Associates, LLC. 
um, and probably more because landlords are notorious for um, putting names, putting buildings underneath different names. So I would say it took about like a month and a half uh, to really like gain some consistent traction with Parkway Tennis Association in order to like meet regularly. And now we have a code of conduct and accountability process and a virtual chat etiquette that are alive in our Google Drive. And those will be living, evolving documents. But this is this is just the beginning. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about like what you've learned from some of the, you know, this experience, like some of the longer standing lessons that I think people should maybe uh, warm up to in the very beginning of these kinds of situations? Hmm. So again, first and foremost, people need to, or I would recommend, sorry, um, I would recommend that people start researching decolonization, start researching reindigenization, and start research, researching intersectional feminism. Because the reality is, is that our country has not come to terms with the original sin of the genocide of indigenous peoples. And because our nation was born from this equation of profit over people, it's obvious that property over people has become the DNA. And even though that genocide isn't as visible, it's still here. Similarly to how like slavery was never abolished. It just evolved. Um, so people... I would recommend that people um, start framing their their mindset with these with these broader terms in order to really understand just how useful it is to um, talk about sovereignty and safety amongst your neighbors, your tenant associations, and all the other resources um, that are that are in your neighborhood and in your your city and your state. That's definitely very important, I think, to, to tenants. I think so often um, tenants or just people at large feel like anything that's going wrong in the world is their fault or something that they didn't do instead of having this sort of framing where it's like, and it's not instead of, but it's it's a condition thing. And you have to get to that place where you can sort of understand the world in these frames of you know, how you're being oppressed, how landlords are basically parasites on society and on tenants as a whole. Um, so one question that I wanted to raise is uh, how, do, how did you start approaching tenants in your building to talk about what is happening in the neighborhood? Sure thing. Um, so in order to um, start organizing my building, I actually was approached first by Parkway Tenants Association. They flyered all the neighboring buildings that they could and I just sent an email to Parkway Tennis Association and I started um, building trust and momentum one conversation at a time um, with about like four other buildings. Um, now we are at six buildings, six active buildings. Um, and then I was connected by PTA with neighbors in my building. And we just had our first um, like official um meeting the other day, but uh, and to start, we had to start with an unofficial meeting that was very um, casual and um, 
like open so that nobody felt like they honestly were going to be targets from, from my landlords because that's one of the tactics that they use in their playbook is threatened threats, coercion, blackmail, buyouts, et cetera. Um, and so since then I've been, uh, focusing my efforts on creating the skeleton within Parkway Tennis Association, along with other people in other buildings. Um, and now I'm trying to focus more on strategies of how to table in front of my um, building and also uh, eventually go door knocking. Yeah. The nuts and bolts of basic organizing, but it's so it's so tried and true and it works. And especially with tenants, I think it takes a long time for people to, you know, build trust to see your face often and to see that you're committed to this and not just going to put them in danger of something. So I think, I think what you just said is so important for people to hear. Um, so what, uh, what can, I know you mentioned your landlord at the beginning and I know you said, you know, landlords have this, uh, this nature in them or this tendency to create multiple LLCs to sort of hide themselves from, uh, being targeted by tenants. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned about your landlord? Oh, goodness. I learned that my property manager is only my property manager, but behaves. He, he tries to put on the facade that he is a landlord. For example, that's the reason why he wasn't arrested by the police. He told the police that he was the landlord and that I was a squatter, which isn't true. It's wild. And... I also learned that Parkway Realty owns a shell company, so they are not hurting when it comes to people who are on rent strike. Um, I also learned um, that they actually have about 73 buildings across the Bronx and Brooklyn. So while our six buildings are active and in communication with one another, my hope is that other buildings are starting to talk and be active too. And it's only just a matter of time before we can all um, connect our synapses. Yeah. So I want to remind folks that are listening that you're tuning into Working Class Heroes on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're here speaking with Ginger about what she did when she dealt with an abusive landlord who tried to illegally lock her out. Ginger, my next question is, what do you think the courts... Um, housing court could do differently to help tenants uh, like you, especially in a pandemic, for example? They need to shut down. They need to shut down. Absolutely. They need to ground themselves in the reality that housing justice ties inextricably into healthcare. And housing justice and healthcare are inextricably tied to gender justice and racial justice. We are not little atoms in a vacuum or little gears in a machine as a printing press for these slumlords and landlords and politicians like bank accounts. They need to shut down the courts. They need to start listening to the grassroots organizations particularly, for example, Housing Justice for All or Right to Counsel, um, and giving a voice to all the other micro-organizations out there that are very clearly delineating 
very plausible plans in order to make assessments of how we can continue our due diligence in the courts, but in a humane way. But for now, they need to shut it down. No evictions for a year after a vaccine is is spread, widespread, particularly after a vaccine is specifically targeted towards the most marginalized communities of the United States of America since its inception. Definitely. Those are the people who've been most affected by the first and potential second wave that we're seeing coming. So I completely agree with you there, Ginger. Um, you know, so the eviction moratorium has been extended. We mentioned it, Mel and Lupita has spoke uh, about it in the show earlier. Um, when the, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, uh, when these eviction moratoriums are over, do you expect to be hit with a bunch of cases in housing court by the landlord? And how are you and the tenants union sort of preparing for that? Mm. Well, the irony is, is that while we are all anticipating a tsunami, you know, people keep saying a wave of evictions, I anticipate something else. For example, I, or for reference, I just started my hearing on September 4th. I'm suing my landlord and Michael Weiss for the burglary and harassment and unresolved repairs and life hazards. And it was a mess, a total mess. And so ironically, while yes, the, after these moratoriums are over, the reality is, is that there's, such a congestion, like an incalculable congestion of cases, even before COVID. Um, and laws are changing as we speak that I have actually a lot of faith that there won't be a tsunami of, um, marshals going door to door, dragging people out. Um, also particularly because there just isn't the manpower for that, but that isn't, that does not, that should not give us reason to be complacent by any means. We need to be more vigilant than ever um, and create a counterbalance of all of these um, external forces that aren't humanizing us in the way we deserve. Definitely. I've heard of uh, people talking about like an anti eviction network um, just in case, but. You know, the future is a little unknown and we hope that, you know, tenants like you and tenants across the city continue to organize and push back. Um, there's been such a important presence of tenants at housing courts to try to shut them down, to try to push the eviction moratoriums further back. Um, so I think, yeah, I think your work and the work of other tenants is so important for the rest of the city. Um, yes, I'm actually really excited to say that there is already a Brooklyn eviction defense network in its nascent stages. Um, a bunch of organizations are already collaborating um, in order to make sure that we're prepared to unfortunately do the job uh, that we originally paid people to do, but we are organizing and please reach out to me if anybody needs any more information on the Brooklyn eviction defense network. Thanks. So I think that's pretty much um, all the time we have for this segment. I uh, We're going to take some callers, but first we're going to take a musical break. Ginger, will you stick around with us to maybe take a few calls? Yeah, I would love that. Awesome. All right, great. So 
yeah, I think we're gonna go to our musical break. Um, and when you when the musical break is over, uh, callers, you can give us a ring at two one two. Two zero nine two eight seven seven. We want to hear from you and what you have to say about uh, housing court, evictions, abusive landlords, or whatnot. That was Premier by local rap group Circa 95. Um, and you're here with us on Working Class Heroes Radio at WBAI 99.5 FM. We're waiting for some callers to see if they'll come in and speak with us about you know, housing court, abusive landlords, what you think about our show, or if you want to ask Ginger a couple of questions. Again, the number to call to speak with us is 212 209 2877. Ginger, while we wait for maybe a couple callers or our first caller, I should ask you, um, you mentioned a couple of things about what people can, uh, where people can, you know, get some advice or some guidance in regarding to housing court. Um, you know, we definitely want to share some of that uh, on, um, on our social media pages. So we'll, we'll definitely do that so folks can get, um, access to it uh can you tell us maybe what's sort of the latest latest efforts between uh, you and the parkway tennis association sure thing um so august was a, a huge groundswell of events and support um i a, a group of my friends and i co-created a vigil for in front of my home because that was the day that I was supposed to be evicted. And afterwards, there was a community speak out hosted by Equality for Flatbush. Um, and Parkway Tennis Association um, came out to support me. Um, and then there was also a Unite Our Struggles march that just happened. And we had a housing justice rally at Uma Park. And Alicia Boyd and I um, facilitated alongside um, Winsome from New York Communities for Change. Um, and more recently, Parkway Tennis Association has been, again, focusing on the nuts and bolts of creating a sustainable and fair framework 
for our potentially 73 building wide tenants association. Um, what does that mean? That means making space to make mistakes. So for example, we've been really doubling down our efforts to carve out what our code of conduct is and our accountability processes, because it's so easy for um, momentum like this to implode when people aren't giving each other the benefit of the doubt or giving each other space to um, be direct and open about their communication style or be open to a mediator. Um, and then we've also just been having um, a lot of really great human moments, like tabling in front of somebody's building or having a socially distanced like picnic. Um, yeah, those are those are some of the efforts that um, we've been corralling around recently. And if you were to ask, um, or if we were to ask New Yorkers a way for us to be able to support you in the Parkway Tennis Association, your efforts, what would be the way to do that? Oh. Landlords, slumlords, tyrants in general, they benefit when we don't talk to each other. They benefit when we are isolated or when we feel helpless. So the best way for people to help myself and Parkway Tennis Association um, is to just talk to us one conversation at a time. Again, my Instagram is G-I-N-G-D-W-A-N. And if anybody has any ideas on how we can send flyers to the other 33, like or all 33 buildings in our neighborhood, that would be a great start. Um, we also are doing all of this out of pocket, all of the printing, uh, all the labor, so people can also um, Venmo, send donations to my Venmo. Again, G-I-N-G-D-W-A-N. Um, and also, uh, do people can help us inadvertently by being loyal to their own sovereignty, being loyal to their own dignity in their own homes. This is a movement, you know? So create a tenant association in your own building. Um, talk to people, talk to your neighbors, even if they're not a part of your same management company. And as this movement grows, they'll not be able to ignore us any longer. And they'll have to do deliver, deliver on the social contract that they have been breaking. Definitely. I think these are times for us to even maybe work and come up with a new social contract, it seems. Um, what have been some of the difficulties in organizing in your building? Like what lessons have you learned about like organizing right now? Mm, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that just because you don't see any, anyone reach out to the tennis association email or call the number or show up to events, virtual or physical, it doesn't mean that it's not working. This is about trust. So that means it's about patience as long as you are consistent, gentle, and respectful of people's boundaries, it will happen. At one point or another, somebody will realize, you know what? Not only do I have a stake in this, but I have a stake in my neighbor's welfare as well. So the most important thing I can say from, from organizing is just be patient, be consistent, respect people's boundaries, and it will eventually, eventually flourish. Yeah. That's what organizing is, just patient work and trust and, and you know, just continuously get going at that. 
Um, do you have any like language barriers with your tenants or maybe if you can speak about some of the demographic of the type of tenants in your building? Sure thing. So, um, for my first petition, I thankfully am blessed to be considered a friend by beautiful genius people. Um, and they were willing to translate my, my petition into French and Spanish, um, um, and Arabic. Um, but it's, it's impossible to keep up with like all the flyers every single time. Um, so that, that was our first, um, stab at, at trying to, uh, be more inclusive. Um, but since I'm still getting to know my neighbors, um, it's hard to tell which language is the more predominant like need. Um, but thus far I, I haven't heard um, of a language that, that we've overlooked yet. That's great. I mean, I think it's so important for people to make sure to capture all the different communities that exist in New York City. Um, I've always said before that New York City has the largest um, immigrant like population in the entire country. It's something like 3.4 million people, which if that was its own city, might be like the second largest city in the country. So it's pretty, pretty significant. Um, but that's great. Uh, I'm wondering... Um, if you could speak about like, you know, do you see larger rent strikes on the, on the horizon? Definitely. Definitely. Um, if somebody's in a rent stabilized building, they have like, the most protections. Um, so I see rent strikes being more predominant in those types of buildings, but um, across the board, um, people are really coming to terms with the fact that it is not only unsustainable, but it is unacceptable that we are expected to not have a reliable source of income, but we are supposed to be a reliable source of income for somebody else. Um, the profit over people equation is coming to an end and we will abstain as long as it takes for people to get the message hey guys sorry to interrupt but we finally have our first caller hello caller you are on the air please tell us your name and where you are calling from excuse me diane can you speak up a little bit louder yes can you hear me now guys can you hear them can you hear her? uh barely hear you yeah, we can barely hear you diane any louder is Ooh, that better yeah that's a lot oh, better yes sorry. yes yes um i heard uh I, i'm hoping this i'm getting this uh, correct uh that the young lady that's that's on uh she is is interested in organizing her building is that the idea yes yes yes, yes. that's true yes oh okay uh, um, I, I would like to uh, ask you to consider that um, there was another show on earlier today, and uh, they were mentioning having a um, like cancellation of of rent, um, and they were able to like separate out small uh, property owners, maybe people that own a, a two family or um, you know less than uh, 
three units or, or, or the like, uh, as opposed to lumping those those in with, um, you know, owners of multiple dwellings of you know, more than 10 in as much as you're going to organize uh, an effort, uh, you want to uh, also be mindful that everybody, you know, isn't uh, a slumlord. So what about that? Diane, thanks for your call. Um, Ginger, I'm curious if you have a response. I just want to make sure I'm understanding correctly. Um they said that not, be mindful that not every landlord is a slumlord, right? Correct. Yeah, I think Diane was saying that um, there's a need in all these efforts to sort of cancel rent and not lump together individual property owners with property uh, owners of multiple buildings. Um, yes, I think that's a very, very astute point. Thank you, Diane. Um, I'm not literate on the movement to um, have a, a bailout fund for the smaller landlords, but at least for me personally, I, I wholeheartedly agree that there should be. I agree. We spoke um, also with, um, you know, we played this clip from Marnie Halasa earlier on in the show where she spoke about small business owners not really getting any rent protections or, or, or uh, protection from landlords who just want to evict them from one day to the next. So it does seem like there is a cry out here for stronger protections for tenants, be it small business owners or, or you know, residential tenants as a whole. Um, I think we're pretty much uh, wrapping up on time here uh, or running out of time. Uh, Ginger, I want to thank you once again for being on the show with us. Um, it was really great to hear your story and for people to hear how you've addressed some of these things and hope to inspire more people to, to maybe, you know, look up the things that you did. And, and we'll definitely, like I said, share resources uh, that you have on your Instagram, as well as the petition, the change.org petition and whatnot. Thank you so much. I just want to send out a reminder, y'all. We have nothing to lose but our chains. Asada Shakur, we got this. We got this. Thank you all. Have a good night. You're listening to Working Class Heroes right here on WBAI 99.5 FM. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, say, I'm a, for the people fighting. En rebelión contra un sistema que destroza, batallando por la paz, un revuelo que alborota. I'm a, yeah, say, I'm a, for the people fighting. Batallando por la paz, despertando la pasión Me dirijo a la batalla, trazo líneas que desatan Hago muros que despiertan y alimentan nuestras almas En rebelión contra un sistema que nos tapa Marco mi pisada, el alma dejo allí plasmada El color es la herramienta que amplifica la protesta Es mecanismo de expresión que manifiesta La voz del que no calla, la pasión que se detalla Es la lucha que refleja la verdad Y estalla como bomba tras el tiempo en una hora Cada esquema es destrozado y en un libro se acomoda. Nuestras mentes son su historia y desplegan la memoria. Juega un puesto inexistente que al final se relaciona. Batallo, por supuesto, contra el puesto que destroza. Ahogados en miseria, cada duda es una excusa.